Joseph's eyes opened and his breath caught. The room was filled with the kind of thick darkness and silence only felt just before dawn. He closed his eyes again and laid still as a feeling, not quite a memory, faded from his mind. He tried to grasp it, but it was fading away with the night. Letting out a long sigh, he gave up the weak struggle. Slowly and silently, he sat up and his eyes adjusted. He could make out the shapes of his wife still sleeping and their toddler on the mat across the room. Joseph crept outside, sealing himself against the dry chill of the desert. He was uneasy. The lost dream still weighed on him, though he no longer knew why. He felt like something was coming. Something that would once again uproot and upend their already unstable lives. As the first glow of dawn began illuminating their camp, Joseph let out a whispered prayer. Oh Lord, help us. He heard his son begin to stir and knew a new day was beginning whether he was ready for it or not. At that same moment, a hundred miles away in Jerusalem, three road-worn pilgrims approached a groggy watchman at Herod's gate. It was nearly two years ago when Balthazar of Arabia had first noticed the shockwave cascade across the cosmos. In his deepest prayers and trances, he felt that something new had opened into his world like a door into another life, had swung open and was flooding this one with fresh air. It felt as heavy and as irreversible as the turning of an age. His brethren felt the same thing. They, too, had heard the music of the spheres reach a new crescendo. And so they dove into their astrological studies to find the source of the celestial shift. It was Balthazar who found it the new and irregular star beckoning them west. And after a conference with his eager peers, he was commissioned to follow its invitation. He was equipped with an offering of gold for whatever benevolent power was behind this. And after months on the perfidious western road, Balthazar crossed paths with two others who appeared to be going in the same direction with the same purpose. They called themselves Melchior of Persia and Caspar of India, and each, through their own craft and religion, had learned of the shift and the star in the same way, in their own way. As they spoke along the way, each contributed something from their own insight that the others hadn't seen. From the bookish but devout Caspar, they learned that the shift was to be attributed to a new ruler, and based on the direction of the star, it was a new ruler of a nation of people known as the Jews. From the mystic traditions of Melchior, who was not given to much speech, they learned that this ruler was not like the other kings of the world, but rather a sort of paradox, powerlessly powerful. This contribution became a riddle on which the three men would meditate for long stretches of the road between conversation. The three energized one another as they left their worlds behind to find the one who had opened a new chapter in cosmic history. They looked forward to joining these Jews in celebration of their newborn king. And now they stood at the gate, addressing the two suspicious watchmen 
at the end of a very long shift. My good brothers, Balthazar led in an accent the watchman had never heard before. We are travelers from the east, astrologers, mystics, and scholars. We seek to pay homage to your new ruler, the one anointed king of the Jews. The watchman, who had been listening skeptically, went white at these last words. Balthazar, Caspar, and Melchior felt the energy shift and realized at once that they had made a misjudgment of some kind. The watchmen, glancing at one another nervously, spoke with false bravado. You will follow us, and you will not speak until you've been granted an audience with Herod. Do you understand? Now more guarded with their speech, the travelers acquiesced and followed. They wove through Jerusalem as it awoke, windows and doors opening to reveal faces that quickly turned suspicious of these strangers in their street. Other guards, oddly dressed and clearly not Jewish, looked on with bored disinterest, though their presence seemed to make the watchmen leading them clench their jaws. Eventually, the group entered a gaudy palace, and one of the watchmen conferred with a palace guard who marched off through a door. The travelers barely had time to study the room when the guard reemerged mechanically and stood at attention. The other guards in the room stood up straighter as a large and commanding man made his entrance. Balthazar surmised this man must be Herod, and by his walk deduced that he was in charge here, or at least considered himself to be. Balthazar could also see, however, by the way Herod adjusted his robes, that he was disturbed and trying to maintain his composure. Herod approached and spoke first with an air of false pleasantry. My esteemed guests, he puffed, showing all of his teeth. My captain of the guard has informed me that you are inquiring about a newborn ruler of the Jews. Please, tell me where you've come from and what it is you seek. He looked expectantly as the magi weighed their options. Balthazar felt something was off, so he spoke cautiously. You have been told correctly, he began, that we seek to pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews. In his peripheral, Balthazar saw a subtle wave of uneasiness work its way around the chamber. Two years ago, each of us saw his birth in the stars, and it is our hope, he continued, that you might be able to point us in the right direction. Herod's smile had not wavered though Balthazar could see the gears turning violently in his head. Herod's eyes darted to his captain and gave a curt nod, an unspoken order which the guard followed obediently, leaving the room. Of course, this is such wonderful news, Herod said, pacing in a circle around them like a shark. And we will be all too delighted to help you on your quest, for it is ours too. For centuries Israel has awaited her Messiah, the one who would return us to our former glory. You must tell us everything you've discovered, everything that brought you here. He stopped pacing and looked at them hungrily. Again, Balthazar got the feeling that something was very wrong. He had imagined the Jews would be celebrating, that they would be in tune with the same wisdom that had brought Balthazar all this way. If the shift was so grand that he had seen it from across the world, why hadn't these men, who were so close, 
been able to see it themselves. They had all the traditions and stories and rituals to give them an advantage, but it was becoming clear that they were clueless. And that's when it dawned on Balthazar. He saw what was happening, how naive he had been in his expectations. His presence was an indictment on these people, a judgment on them. They had obviously grown so entitled to God's favor, so proud, and in Herod's case, so powerful, that they had neglected God entirely. Their world was no bigger than themselves. God was no bigger than their own use of God, no wider than their own country, their own religion. Whereas Balthazar had traveled across the world because in his pursuit of wisdom, he felt like he was caught up in a story so much bigger than himself These men had missed it because their stories were no bigger than their own appetites and ambitions. Of course they weren't rejoicing at the news of a new ruler of the Jews because it was a threat to the status quo. A status quo that seemed to be serving them just fine. It was a threat that Herod seemed ready to remedy. With that, Balthazar knew they could tell him no more could give him nothing that could be used as a weapon to act against the purpose of the cosmos. They needed to leave. He turned to signal his companions, but found this was unnecessary. In their eyes, he saw the same lack of trust that he himself had just discovered. But still, Herod waited expectantly. Caspar, who was at once very curious, but also very perceptive, countered, But your grace, please. Our travels have been long, and we have so many questions about your people. An unrestrained look of frustration flashed across Herod's face before he could hide it. But again, he spoke with false patience. Of course, let us sit down and speak over some refreshments. He snapped his fingers, and a table was quickly set up with grapes and flatbread. For several minutes, Caspar exhausted Herod with questions about the Jews, their history, their religion, their customs... But eventually, Herod cut Caspar off mid-question as the guard he had sent out re-entered. The guard had three men in tow, two up front with long beards and a younger one behind them. They looked apprehensive. Ah, said Herod impatiently and gestured towards the three men. This is Nathan, Saul, and Thomas, the best and brightest of our religious scholars. The scholars seemed uncomfortable at Herod's praise. Our guests here have traveled far and were just inquiring into the birthplace of the Messiah. He enunciated the word Messiah as if issuing a hidden threat that these scholars picked up on. Tell us, Herod urged, where is he to be born? Balthazar opened his mouth to try to stop the scholar, to buy him just a minute to recognize what was happening, but he didn't have time. In Bethlehem of Judea, the younger man declared confidently. For the prophet has written, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, since from you will come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. The other two nodded in agreement. Oh, these fools, Balthazar thought. At once he recognized the sin of even those in his own tradition. These scholars knew everything there was to know about God with no connection to the divine at all. They used good and holy things carelessly, 
and good tools in the careless in careless hands can cause great harm. Herod rounded triumphantly on the Magi. Bethlehem of Judea, there you have it. The wise men feigned gratitude. Now, there is but one thing remaining, Herod said. We will give you whatever supplies you need to go and find the child and bring a report back to me that I may go and pay him homage as well. You'll find him in Bethlehem. And you said you saw his star at its rising two years ago, yes? That would make him at most two years of age. A stab of regret pierced Balthazar's heart. He should have been more careful. Yes, of course, Casper said. With good fortune, we will return in a few months' time with a full report on the child. As far as supplies for our journey, may I ask for transcriptions of your sacred texts, your prophecies, and your history? For I am a scholar and would greatly value the opportunity to learn more about your noble people. Consider it done, Herod snapped eagerly. But, your grace, the elder chief priest protested incredulously. I said, consider it done, Herod said dangerously, and the priest shrank back, anxiously taking his leave to retrieve the sacred scrolls. Nearly a week later, Joseph rested his tired muscles as the sun steadily disappeared below the horizon. He was still troubled by his dream or the faint memory of his dream, even weeks later. As his wife lit their lamp and his son drew pictures in the dirt, he pondered on the temporality of it all. This season, this complicated stay in Bethlehem, it couldn't possibly last much longer. A voice outside of their shabby home made Joseph's heart leap. We pray your pardon, the modest voice spoke. But we are pilgrims passing through this place, and we seek some direction. His small son jumped up into his mother's lap. Joseph was suspicious, but he knew well what it was to be a stranger in an unwelcoming village. So he pulled the door open. Three men stood outside. Their complexion and their accent told Joseph that they had traveled far indeed. The one in front smiled warmly. Thank you for opening the door. Of course, Joseph said, remembering to be hospitable. Come in. We don't have much food, but what we have we will gladly share. Oh, that won't be necessary, the man said as they entered, ducking their heads under the lintel. My name is Balthazar, and we... He stopped still when he saw the two-year-old boy sitting in his mother's lap. The other two men had noticed as well. Joseph thought he saw tears forming in the traveler's eyes right before Balthazar, followed by his companions, dropped his small satchel and fell to the ground and lay before Jesus and Mary. A few hours later, Mary and Melchior were playing with the child so that Balthazar, Caspar, and Joseph could sit on the roof in deep conversation. After a moment of surprise, the travelers had explained to Mary and Joseph why they had come, and they celebrated as they shared their stories. Now Joseph spoke in hushed tones. Balthazar and Caspar learned from Joseph that the Roman occupation of their land had been growing tense, and that there had been talk of revolution and radical messiahs to fight for independence. He spoke of quashed revolutionary groups and mass executions. Balthazar realized this must have been why the watchmen were so tense when he had spoken so openly about a newborn ruler. He also realized how much this danger must be weighing on Joseph. 
So Balthazar asked him about it. You know, Joseph whispered in response, I've always worked for others, a carpenter on someone else's job. I've always felt like a a small piece of someone else's world. And when all this started happening, it felt the same way. I felt as if I were just taking my place in a bigger divine drama. We are familiar with this, Balthazar affirmed. The pursuit of wisdom is indeed the pursuit of something greater than yourself. You become a willing instrument in the symphony of the cosmos. But of course, there are those who don't see it this way. Through their eyes, they are the heroes of their own legends, and the rest of us exist to do their bidding. This is what power and self-interest do to the soul, and this is what makes Herod and your priests so dangerous to you and your family. He told Joseph about their encounter with Herod and the threat that loomed just beyond the horizon. When we leave in a few days, Balthazar said, we'll be taking a longer, more dangerous road to avoid passing back through Jerusalem, but Herod won't be deceived for long. He's afraid, and he'll come for you. And in that moment, Joseph remembered his dream. He remembered it as clearly as he remembered the dream he'd had about Mary's pregnancy. He'd been told that Jesus wasn't safe, that they would have to leave, and soon. He knew they would have to immigrate to Egypt under the cover of darkness to find asylum there. He shared this with Balthazar and Caspar, and Caspar let out a quiet, cynical chuckle. Out of Egypt I have called my own, he said. The universe is not, it seems, without a sense of irony. What do you mean? Joseph asked. Oh, I've been reading the ancient texts of your people, Casper continued. Your people who were protected by God as they fled from Egypt. It seems to me the oppressed of today become the oppressors of tomorrow. Your people forget who they are. Two nights later, in the dead of night, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus set out on their long journey. Herod let out a thunderous yell and hurled an elaborately engraved pot at the wall just to the left of his captain's head. The guard did not flinch. Months had passed, and there was no sign of the travelers from the east. They had deceived him. Search parties had scoured Bethlehem and the surrounded cities, but the crafty magi seemed to have vanished without a trace. Herod was livid. His entire body was filled with white-hot rage. He lifted a wooden chair and smashed it across another. With ragged breaths, he ran a hand through his hair as he tried to calm himself. There was too much at stake. He could not stand by and do nothing while his nation was threatened by a new and unknown power. And what would the Romans do if they caught wind of it? Herod's well-negotiated position of authority was fragile at best. He had to keep the peace, no matter the cost. Here are your orders, Herod said deliberately. You are to take a legion of men and put to death every child two years old and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding villages. For the first time in decades, the captain hesitated. Conflicted, he stammered, "Uh, but, sir, 
Herod rounded on him, throwing him against a wall and growling only inches from his face. I have neither the inclination nor the patience to hear any response from you, but yes, my lord, do you understand? You are to assemble your men. You are to march on Bethlehem. You are to take every crying infant and toddler away from their mothers, and you are to kill them. You are to put to the sword all who resist, including your own men, or I will find someone else and leave you to rot in Gehenna. Are we clear? The guard could smell Herod's breath. He nodded his head and fell in line. Herod released him. It was done. When Caspar heard about what had happened many years later and long after he had parted company with Balthazar and Melchior, he wept bitterly. Now well-versed in Hebrew scripture, he sang out the words of the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and lamenting loudly. It was Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, for they were no more. Jesus grew up a foreigner in the land of Egypt, a people with customs and religions so different from the Jewish traditions Mary and Joseph tried so hard to keep. As he grew aware of the ways his family was different than the rest, he would often ask Joseph why they had to live in Egypt, why they couldn't just return home to their people. And every time Joseph would go and fetch the Magi's gifts from their hiding place, and let Jesus run his fingers over them as Joseph told him the story of the travelers, of Herod, of the religious scholars, of the dreams, of the murders, of everything. Sometimes Jesus would steal away by himself to take the gifts out and look at them, recounting the story to himself. It shaped the way he saw powerful people, the way he saw religious people, the way he saw foreigners and those forced to the margins of life. It shaped the way he heard the stories and the prophecies of his own people. It became a part of him. And when the time came and word reached Joseph that Herod had finally died, they prepared for their return to Israel, a place Jesus had no conscious memory of, but he felt he knew well. And as they journeyed towards Nazareth, Joseph knew that this narrow escape had been only the first in what would certainly be an extraordinary and dangerous life for his young Messiah. O oh Lord, he prayed, help us. <laughs> 